Pastor Landon came in to our office a couple months ago and just to talk about things, false teachings and things that um, are going on in our country and in our churches. And um, it was a good, good talk. He's such a solid brother. And um, I wore my, my jacket today when I saw his message. Actually, I, I watched his sermon from last Sunday. He was in a suit and tie going, wow, have they upgraded the dress code there at Freedom Fellowship or what? Um, but you know, there's a verse at the end of his sermon. And by the way, at that time, months ago, he said, you know, preach on what your specialty is. And I tend to focus a lot on Christ and culture, um, Hollywood, media, entertainment, public schools, government, worldview, biblical worldview. But there's a scripture he shared last week as he went through Mark 13, um, and he was talking about the end times, the last days, which I'll be getting into today. I'm really excited. God's been stirring up my heart in the last couple of months. I'm really, really getting more passionate about the Word of God. And actually, I should say getting that passion back. Because you know it's so easy to get comfortable and complacent and to look at worldly things instead of having an eternal perspective. But one scripture that I knew where I had to go with this message today, one scripture that Pastor Landon shared last week was John 16, 33. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then he said, in this world you will have tribulation. But, always read the buts in the Bible, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And what Jesus is saying is, we're going to have trouble. But if I live in you by my spirit, the spirit of Christ, if Christ is in us, he overcame the world, and so can we. Not on our own power, not in our own strength, but I uh, hope everybody has their sword today. But I just wanted to share that, that we're on the same page here, and the, the way that that sermon went last Sunday that Landon preached. I, mean, actually, I was actually going to quote two of the scriptures from it, but I think I'll just... Um, I want to show you or tell you a couple things that I just went through Mark chapter 13 because I had to look it up. And this is a bonus, by the way. And by the way, Pastor Landa didn't tell me how much time I have. So what we're going to do for the next five hours is um, go through. Well, it's a night game. Come on. We're having lunch brought in. Didn't he tell you? Hey, in some countries in persecuted underground churches, they go for five hours. So uh, American Christianity is not necessarily biblical Christianity, but in Mark 13, this is from last week, Jesus said to, to him, um, he was coming out and he said, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. He, he predicted, prophesied the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 AD. Jesus was right about a lot of things. And then he said, "Just I'm going through, there's 37 verses in Mark, but I've highlighted a few. <clears throat> See to it that no one misleads you. That was his response when they said, tell us, when will these things happen? Jesus didn't say when. He said, don't be deceived. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise up against nation. These are just the beginning of birth pangs. He said, the gospel must first be preached to all nations. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Talks about the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist. He said, if anyone says to you, behold, here he is, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe him. When you see all these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. And then he said in verse 33, you do not know when the appointed time will come. So we need to be ready. And then the very last verse in Mark 13. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Another translation says, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So that was from Mark 13, which you already are very familiar with. But if you want to write down some scriptures, this is where we're going to go today. Um, I'll give you several, and you'll at least know in the Bible you know, where you can mark them. If you want to jot them down real quick. If not, I'll give you some time to flip there when we get there. Acts chapter 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, Daniel 2, Genesis 12, Psalm 105, Zechariah 14. 
I'll go through them again. Acts 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, Daniel 2, Genesis 12, Psalm 105, Zechariah 14. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day that you have made. We praise you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. We praise you that that trump will resound and we will be blessed by the return of our long-awaited king. We thank you, God, that your feet will touch on the Mount of Olives, that when you return, you will return to judge the earth, where you will judge the nations. And I thank you for your future promise of eternity in your presence. In your presence is fullness of joy. We praise you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. Prepare our hearts for your word right now. Speak to our hearts what you want us to hear. And God, get me out of the way. May you be glorified. May your name be exalted. And may the Jesus be praised. We ask that your will be done. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Thank you for your presence, O oh God. Thank you for this fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're familiar with Isaiah 9, 6, because we're going to be approaching, when, when, you know, Christmas is coming. We're already seeing Christmas commercials, and we know Thanksgiving is near when we see Christmas commercials. But isn't that how we're supposed to understand the times and see the times? We know the day is approaching, but we see some signs happening. We know that God's return is drawing near. More than ever when you see world events and what's happening. Isaiah 9, 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. What do you think about the sticker, the bumper sticker, or the concept coexist? Just a thought. It's a little naive, and um, forgive me if you do have a coexist bumper sticker on your car, but it's, um, it's a nice, pleasant thought, but it cannot happen on this earth. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He did say, in me you will have peace, only in him. You cannot have peace with men who refuse to acknowledge the existence of truth. Jesus said he is the truth. How about the sticker, no Jesus, with K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace, and then N-O, no Jesus, no peace. Now that one's true. I'll, I'll buy into that one. So the only true lasting peace we can have here on earth is faith in the Prince of Peace himself, Jesus Christ. We're seeing in our country organized protests taking place several major cities since the election of Donald Trump as president of the United States. People have the right to protest, but ironically, these American people are protesting American people. They're protesting the other half, or a little bit more than half, of the citizens that voted. Um, it's interesting, and some of them are being you know, uh, manufactured. It's a sign of our divisive times. We are divided people. We're, truth divides people. Jesus was divisive. He didn't even have to say a word. Just by who he is and who he was when he walked this earth, he divided people. Either you believe in him or you don't. There's no mushy middle. There's no gray area. So the Bible says he is our peace. Um, so with everything that's going on, is there a, a spiritual dynamic to consider with these times that we're seeing in America and in the world? Um, we're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and yet a coalition of nations hostile toward Israel is surrounding her today, and it's ramping up threats of nuclear war. There are some nations trying to intimidate others with fear. What's that? Rumors of war. There's wars and rumors of wars. So the things just may get worse before they get much better because these things are supposed to happen. So take heart. The scripture is true. Prophecy will be fulfilled. But um, there's nothing new under the sun. Remember we talked about the protests a second ago. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 17. If you uh, marked that in your Bible, start, we'll start in verse 1. And you're going to be surprised maybe. Acts chapter, chapter 17 verse 1. The Apostle Paul experienced protests and riots many, many times. 
It says, when Paul and his companions passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went to the synagogue, and on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned from them, from the scriptures. First of all, take note that uh, verse 2 starts off with saying, as was his custom. This is what Paul did whenever he went into a new town. He reasoned. If anyone knew apologetics, he did. He reasoned from the scriptures first in the synagogues. He wanted to reach the Jews first when everyone into a new town. Verse 3, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Well, how could he prove it? Remember during the time when Paul wrote these letters, there were hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses all over the place that saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Why do you think the Jews who wanted to kill who, who thought they killed him, that hated him because of what he did, they, they, wanted, they were concerned about their you know, church, their temple, their religion, their traditions, why do you think they could not refute Christianity? There were eyewitnesses everywhere, people that saw Christ. Hundreds of people, 500 at the same time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that Jesus appeared to over 500 brethren at the same time. He appeared to individual Christians, people mentioned by name in the Gospels and in 1 Corinthians 15. Some of the Jews, verse 4, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and many prominent women. But... Other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. What's happening in America today? It's not because of Jesus necessarily, but um, so uh, they rounded up people and they're manufacturing these riots. What can we learn from this? When people cannot refute the truth, when they don't want to accept the truth, they will cause chaos and disruption for other people. And so there's plenty of unrest in America today. We don't need manufactured protests and riots. But while some are distraught over an election here, we've got to keep an internal perspective. There's Christian persecution, um, increased world unrest, nuclear threats, ISIS attacks, suicide bombings, more mass shootings than any of us can remember, most of us. Americans are more divided today than ever. 49 people were killed by a shooter in Orlando in June. Crime in our inner cities continues to skyrocket. Chicago alone, the murder rate soared to 72% in 2016. Memorial Day weekend this year, at least 63 people were shot in Chicago. And just one month earlier, now there's a reason I brought up all of that, just one month earlier, President Obama said this, we are now living in the most peaceful era in human history. You can look that up. Yeah, my first reaction was to laugh, but then I scratched my head and I'm going, wait a minute, what? He, everything it, it, he says, it's for a purpose. Some people must believe it. What is he really saying? False prophets talked about peace, peace all the time in the Old Testament when people were trying to kill Christians and, and witnesses for Christ. But let me go to this next, verse, this next uh, section of scripture, which I gave to you. Um, do not be deceived, friends. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 if you marked that. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, 2, 3, and 4. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, and when it says day of the Lord, by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean Jesus, the return of Jesus. It means when he comes to judge the nations. The day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come on them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. Now go to, um, flip over to the next page, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And look at verse 3. Now, th this is all through, Jesus says it many times, Paul says it all through his letters to the churches, to Christians. Verse 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you. And he, talk, he talks about the end. He says, for it will not come 
unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So the Antichrist, he will take his seat in the temple in Jerusalem. There will be a person that will be accepted by much of the world. This is, it's going to be fascinating that things are being set up. World events are being you know, set up right now to prepare for this. It's really interesting. I'll give you a website, if you can remember this, Behold Israel, beholdisrael.org. It's Amir Sarfati. If you have never heard of him, go listen to his blogs and read a few of the articles on his website, beholdisrael.org. So let's take a look at some history now involving America, Israel, and Bible prophecy. And by the way, I didn't even tell you the name of the, the message today, the Prince of Peace, the Hope of Israel in the Last Days. Go to, uh, let me just read this real quick. This is, this is kind of foundational to what we're talking about today. Fulfilled prophecies. And by the way, Jesus fulfilled hundreds. Uh, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says this, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is no one like me, get this, declaring the end from the beginning. Genesis to Revelation, declaring the end from the beginning. The Old Testament prophets talked about these days that we're living in, the days that many of us are going to see in our lifetime, in our lifetimes. There is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That's one of the foundational scriptures for this message today to encourage your hearts. God will accomplish what he will. Let's make sure we're on his side and about his business. That's Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, if you want to write that down. So, since we know nothing can happen apart from God's perfect or permissible will, why should we care? Why should we care about politics, elections? In, why should we engage in culture? Why should we pay attention to Bible prophecy, to Israel, to world events? Why? We know that God's going to take care of it. He's, he's in control, right? Well, first of all, you're not here for you. Second of all, Jesus said, watch and pray. And if we're not watchful and understanding the times, how are we going to know how to pray? Well, thankfully, the Holy Spirit will help us at times. But also, if we love our neighbors, we will tell them the truth about sin, share the gospel, change hearts, change lives, and only God can change hearts. And then changed hearts can change cultures and communities. Second, um, the hundreds of prophecies fulfilled by Jesus prove that scripture is divinely inspired. In other words, it had to be God. So that should encourage us so we can trust a faithful God that he will make good on his promises in our lives and also regarding the return of Jesus. Now, Mark 13, 31, this is what Pastor Landon quoted last week. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So if his words, he is the word, Right? If Jesus, the word, if his words will never pass away, this is a good place for us to be because this is eternal. This is everlasting. This can give us insight into, into the times and wisdom. So lawlessness is increasing. That's obvious. No surprise to anyone here. World leaders are scheming. Nations are preparing for war. And one question is, where does America fall into all this? We have an idea where Israel is going to be. But where does America fall into all this in the last days? Will, will we be a friend and ally to Israel again? Because we haven't been the strongest of allies. That's an understatement. Forgive me. We haven't been the strongest of allies. Um, this remains to be seen. Uh, but one of the first phone calls that President-elect Donald Trump made was to Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel. I don't know if you realize that or not. And... In all my years of understanding presidents that have been elected in America and the statements in the administrations that they put together, their policies and cabinets, I, had, I have never seen a stronger pro-Israel statement from anyone that I just read the other day. So that's something that we can be encouraged by. Otherwise, America is just a blip on the radar in the end times. I want you to know that. 
but we're not completely insignificant. A lot of it depends on our support for Israel. So Donald Trump, wow, where'd that come from? Um, he will be sworn in, I'm Lord willing, on January 20th, uh, the 45th president of the U.S., according to Bible prophecy, in Isaiah 45, 44 and 45, um, God used a pagan king, an unbelieving king, Cyrus, to stand for Israel, to help Israel, a pagan king. God will use whoever he will. Now, I'm not saying that Trump is a modern-day Cyrus necessarily. I'm saying God, God is God, all right? He allows things to happen. Now, Daniel 2, if you're in your Bibles, flip over to Daniel 2. <clears throat> And look at verse 20. Daniel said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals hidden things. All right, by the way, okay, God, I'm glad the scriptures are up. So if we really do believe God and know he is sovereign over all events and circumstances, we need to pray for wisdom for the days of, ahead, of course. But one concern I have um, because of the recent election, because some people, and Christians are people, right? Sometimes we tend to put too much focus on politics and elections. And one concern that I have would be that some would now relax even more, because I think leading up to the times we're living, I wrote a book called The Cost of Our Silence, Consequences of Christians Taking the Path of Least Resistance. One of the, one of the concerns I have since now we finished this election and I guess got the lesser of two evils, but that some Christians would relax and say, good, we've got another four years. Well, I don't see Christian influence in our culture very much. I don't see that salt and light that Jesus called us, the church, to be. He doesn't expect the world to be. He doesn't expect Hollywood and the entertainment industry and uh, those to act like Christians. You know, they need Christ. They need to be saved. They need to hear the gospel. But he does expect the church, his people who are called by his name, to influence culture for Christ, for righteousness. But we have given into the spirit of fear. That's just one of the thoughts I have on that. Oop. I don't want to, I, I'm going to back out here. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to be called hateful. If you think, obviously, of Jesus and his sacrifice, but if you think of every martyr who has died throughout the ages, what they went through, would they die for a lie, first of all? No, this is the truth. We're talking about the truth that many will not accept, but we're, many were willing to die for it. And we're afraid of being called hateful or intolerant? Come on, church, give me a break. Increase our faith, Lord, that we may stand for you with boldness and sensitivity, not to ram our faith down people's throats because they're not going to receive it anyway. You can't force them to receive it. But we are called, we are messengers. We have, do we not have the best message in the universe? Amen. Is not the gospel the best news that anyone could ever have? If this book is true, friends, we're in a pretty good place. But what about those people out there? What about the ones in our culture, in our society? Yeah, they're mocking the Lord, the living God, the only true God. And they're mocking us for believing it, calling us old-fashioned or hateful or you know, whatever, intolerant. But you know what? God is patient, but he is not tolerant. Let me clarify something. God does not tolerate sin. Never. So the church needs to preach this message in love, always speaking the truth in love. That was, I deterred from my notes, but that's, that's free. Um, if we do believe that God is sovereign, we should ask for wisdom. Um, there are many uncertainties for America ahead, what's going to happen in our government, what's going to happen in, in, everywhere, in our schools, in our society, but one thing we know, that we can trust an unknown future to a known faithful God. On the other hand, and there's always another hand, um, we know that enemies of God will not relent in their agenda 
to silence the church, to silence Christians, to sue Christians in our culture. Um, the left has done irreversible damage to the morality and stability of our families, our schools, our nation. But one thing we need to come back to and keep, keep an eye on, folks, is the state of Israel, the nation of Israel. A few weeks ago, uh, you know, the United Nations is not really uh, Christian-friendly nor Israel-friendly, but a few weeks ago, UNESCO voted to deny the Jewish historic connection to the Temple Mount, attempting to redefine 3,000 years of Israel's history. How many of you heard that story, that UNESCO tried to redefine this? Okay. On the site, believed, I mean, not only by biblical scholars, but by archaeologists, to be the location of the original Jewish temples built in Old Testament times. Now, this resolution was waged uh, via UNESCO's 24-6 pro-Muslim vote sponsored naturally by Arab nations. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu rejected it and said, this scandalous decision to the effect that the Jewish people have no connection to the Temple Mount or to Jerusalem at all, it is contradicted by the Bible and the entire historical record. Whether it's Netanyahu, Obama, Putin, Iran's Ahmadinejad, Hillary Clinton, or Donald Trump, we can be assured that nothing takes place and no one comes to power apart from God. Um, king Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 20, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wishes, wherever the Lord wishes. There's no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. So if you look at world events right now, God seems to be setting a stage. He is, for those of you who are paying attention to this. It's, it's, I know some people can get overwhelmed by, by some of this, the world events and, and the, the uh, evil that's seemingly ramping up. It's always been there, but now it's right out in the open uh, against Israel and other things. But it's encouraging to me because that's, what, that's where this Bible goes. That's where it, it talks about these end times, what's going to happen, this coalition of nations against Israel. But uh, similar to Old Testament times, you know, the majority of Muslim nations are now coming against Israel. And the, the very existence of Israel and the Jews produces an almost irrational hatred, doesn't it? Just their existence. Hitler tried wiping out the Jews. So will the Antichrist. So we know this is going to happen uh, during the future tribulation. News reports mention the global conflict with Israel. Um, question is, why do Iran and Muslim nations want to wipe Israel off the, the map? In fact, some of their maps over there in the Middle East, the Muslim maps, some of their maps do not even have Israel on it. So they literally, if they can't do it physically, they're going to, on their paper maps, they're going to wipe Israel off the map. Seriously, this is a serious thing. So, why the fuss over the borders and the land? Well, it all goes back to the promises of God, the promise that Abraham, that God made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and their descendants. And there's a word in Genesis 13, forever. To their descendants, forever. How long is forever? So, <clears throat> let's go back to um, the, some history here. We know that... Um, the descendants, Muslims are descendants of Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, who had a baby, Ishmael. So Muslims are descendants of Ishmael. God's promise and the land, in detail, in many you know, books of the Bible, laid out the, the allotment of land for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So turn to Genesis 12 now, and understand that um, the descendants of Ishmael, They've lived in hostility toward their brothers from the beginning. So Genesis 12. <clears throat> Genesis 12, starting in verse 2. Actually, just verse 2 and 3. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great, so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those. This is for us now. This is for America. I will bless those who bless you. Who? That great nation, Israel. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
through Abraham. Now, Genesis uh, 12, 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then in Genesis 13, 15 was the verse I was referring to. says, and, at, this is all over, um, for the land which you see, saying to Abraham, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. Genesis 13, 15. And then there's a but as far as man's response and what's happening now. Scripture also alludes to a coming invasion of Israel, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39. Um, in Islam, Muhammad supposedly ascended to Allah from Jerusalem. Supposedly, allegedly, let me emphasize that. Supposedly, this is what most Muslims believe. So Jerusalem is a, an important city to them. Um, this, regardless of the fact that in the Quran, Muslims' holy book, in the Quran, there's not one mention of Jerusalem. Interesting. When their prophet supposedly ascended back to Allah from Jerusalem. In contrast, in the pages of the Bible, the word Jerusalem or Zion is used around a thousand times. So here's a little more history that help, may help explain why Islam will never be satisfied until the nation of Israel is completely removed from the land that is now hers. In uh, Dr. Andy Wood's book, The Middle East Meltdown, he says this, According to Islamic doctrine, once Islam has ruled over a territory, the land belongs to Allah, even if they massacred and conquered the people to get the land. Okay, So that any nation, once dominated or ruled, if a nation is occupying that territory, it's viewed as disrespecting Allah. So there's a little insight into why there can never be peace over there. So here's Israel about the size of New Jersey, controlling less than 1% of all Middle Eastern territory, right, to put this in perspective, and surrounded by numerous hostile Islamic dic dictatorships. Israel is the only democracy in the region, and her neighbors are known practitioners of terrorism, threatening to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. The Quran commands Muslims to force people to give not much of a choice. They want submission. They want conquest, control. And by the way, the word Islam means submission. So, and Islam is not a religion. Some people say it's religion. It's a peaceful religion. Really? How come those that are really adamant about following your holy book are cutting the heads off of people? Um, it is a socio-political socio economic system. Sharia law. Many of you have heard Sharia law. It, but that is completely incompatible with our constitution, by the way. But that, they use their system under the guise of a religion. That's what they're, they're using religion as kind of like a facade of this. So, but this is what they want to do. There have always been battles over the land. They want people to submit, to control to Allah and their ways and Sharia law. Um, real quick, Joshua 13.6, just to reinforce the points we've already made here. It says, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon as far as Misrephoth, Maim, all the Sidonians, I will drive them out before the sons of Israel. Only allot it, talking about the land, allot it to Israel for an inheritance as I've commanded you. Now, therefore, apportion this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. Joshua 13, 6. Why am I reading all this? Is because if you believe the lies of the left and the media and those who would have you think that Israel is the problem because they are land hogs over there, you could be deceived when we are supposed to stand with Israel. On the other hand, now, the Jewish Torah promises the children of Israel a modest and reasonable allotment of land, about one-nineteenth the size of California, mind you. And yet, they are currently surrounded by 22 hostile Arab nations, which are 640 times the size of Israel, 60 times her population. How can anyone really believe if they're evaluating the, the facts and the truth that Israel is the problem here? 
with everything that's going on in the Middle East? Well, a lot of people in our society do, and that's why I bring up these scriptures to know if this is the truth, then this is true. <laughs> God's word is truth. Um, since 1948, Israel, how have they responded? Well, they've sought, they've defended themselves now with the Iron Dome and you know shooting down missiles that are going into Israeli airspace, but they have sought peaceful existence with neighboring dictatorships who are dedicated to Israel's destruction, which is interesting. You probably haven't heard this in the news, but um, about a month ago, Russia sent a drone, an armed drone, shot a drone over into Israel undetected. They're testing the waters. Russia is one of those nations. And you're thinking, well, how do... How, Israel's got amazing technology. How could they not have detected a drone coming in from another nation, from Russia? Israel made the drone. There were parts developed in Israel. So they made the drone years ago, sold the parts or the drones to Russia. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, really. So centuries before Israel became a nation, history shows how miraculous it was for the people to return to what was a dry, barren wasteland. God judged the people. He gave them, you've read the first several books in the Bible, he gave them many opportunities, warning after warning after warning to repent, but they were disobedient. And kind of like America, you know, I think we've been given every opportunity. We've gotten warnings um, to repent, but he's given us uh, you know, opportunity after opportunity. But God judged Israel. He judged the people. And then they were scattered throughout the world, dispersed, right? The place was a desert. It was a barren wasteland. It was like Nevada without Las Vegas. You know, they, it was Nevada. But now it's like Vermont. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? And that's more than just People not living there. You're talking about the actual ground itself, the soil. Um, try to imagine. Now, some people say, some people are saying some of these scriptures apply after Jesus returns and the land will be so fertile and fruitful. Okay, so I just want to make sure there are two different views on what I'm about to read from Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41 says this. Now, this is, think about this, about 650 B.C. Try to imagine the people in Isaiah's time when they heard the prophet speaking these words. 41, verse 17. The afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. I will open up rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. I will put the cedar in the wilderness, the acacia and the myrtle and the olive tree. I will place the juniper in the desert together with the box tree and the cypress. They, then they may see... Then they may see and recognize and consider and gain insight as well that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. Think about how they received those words at that time, 650 B.C. approximately. So God fulfilled his promise to answer his people open up rivers, springs, fountains of water so that they would know that God did this. Do you know that since about 1948, there has been approximately one billion trees planted in Israel? Think about that. And fruitful trees, and I'm getting into a little bit more history now, what's actually happening over there, but um, according to the prophets Amos and Joel, God would restore the people so that they would rebuild the ruined cities and they would plant vineyards, gardens, enjoy the land, and God promised that they would never again be uprooted. Hmm. They would never again be uprooted. Now go to Psalm 105. Never again be uprooted. Psalm 105, starting in verse 8. 
He has remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. Then he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, verse 11, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. There's not much gray area as far as God's promises about Israel and the land and who's supposed to occupy it. Is there? From Scripture. So just as predicted, now the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed, trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Remember, since 70 AD, 70, 70 AD, Jesus said the temple will be destroyed, brought down, not one stone left upon another. Um, according to prophecies, Jerusalem would be, and was, by the way, rebuilt on its own ruins and reestablished. On May 14, 1948, a remarkable event took place when the nation of Israel was born in one day, as prophesied in Isaiah 66, 8. Now, understand this, guys. This is unprecedented in all of history. Never in the history of the world has a nation, has a people, had a homeland, for whatever reason, have been dispersed through all, into all kinds of other lands, the place nearly uninhabited that was a desert, uh, and the scripture many times refers to it as a wasteland, to then have that people group or those people come back from different, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years later, actually close to 2,000 years, the, their descendants come back to the land from other nations. It's never happened in world history. So May 14, 1948, um, over 5 million Jews returned to Israel. As predicted, the remnant was restored. It's never happened before. Um, they came, as Isaiah 43, uh, 5 and 6 says, they, they, they came back from the north, from the south, from the east, and from the west. Nearly a million Jews traveled south from Russia alone. Tens of thousands left France. And today, we're seeing people, the Jewish people, return to their homeland. The difference is now they are not believers in Jesus Christ. They are not Messianic Jews, all of them. There is a remnant there. And if you want to know from that perspective what's going on over there, check out that website I gave you before, beholdisrael.org, because there is a remnant there that's growing. But the Jews, as prophesied, are returning from all over the earth to their homeland. The stages are being set. The stage is being set. Now, what I told you earlier, this is interesting. Um, it's Israel, so this tiny nation, right? It's the center of attention politically, spiritually, and also geographically where it's located on the earth. Um, the Bible was again proved true when Israel became a wasteland for almost 2,000 years. Or it was 1,900 years. Um, but today we see a fulfillment of several more prophecies like the one I was alluding to with Nevada turning into Vermont. Um, it says in, I think this is Isaiah 27, 6, it says, Israel will bud and blossom and will fill the whole earth with fruit. That seems like an exaggeration to me. You know what I mean? One little nation the size of New Jersey, fill the whole earth with fruit? What? Well, Israel now exports fresh fruit and produce to the world to the tune of $800 million each year. Wow. Just like the Bible said including over $200 million from flowers and plants. You wouldn't expect that from Nevada, would you? <laughs> so this little nation exports well over $40 billion worth of goods. Tourism, of course, is um, Israel's one of their major sources of in income, uh, economic growth, 3.54 million foreign tourists last year. According to World Bank, exports of total goods and other services Israel provided to the rest of the world were over $91 billion. Only, it had to be God. 
a nation that was barren, nearly uninhabited, a wasteland where the people were dispersed. In the light of some of the numbers, the recent numbers I just read to you, which are stats you can look up, how on earth could that happen? Well, it happened on earth, but it didn't, didn't come from the earth, did it? God made it happen. This sovereign God who is in control and all-knowing about our lives and what's happening in America in light of world events in Israel. <clears throat> Excuse me. So how is it possible? Some actually suggest, oh, it's the, it's the increased rainfall that they have over there in Israel. Um, some say, no, it's, it's Israel's uh, uh, technology, that their, their irrigation systems, their technology. Well, let's not forget God, okay? After the reestablishment of Israel in 1948, here's a little bit more history for you. Just to, to, Not that we didn't build a strong enough foundation already, but um, a series of regional ideological conflicts took place. Violent fighting broke out, Israel and Arab states. And in 1967, there was um, the Six-Day War. Are you guys familiar with that history? I'm going to give you just a little bit for those that aren't. So many people uh, have forgotten really what happened. In uh, 1967, the Jewish people finally uh, regained full control of the city during the Six-Day War. June 7th of that year, the Israeli army broke through and returned Jerusalem to the Jewish people for the first time in 1,897 years. That's what happened in 1967. Now, in a summit, now this is important, understanding the world and how it reacts to some of these things. In a summit after that six-day war, Syria and Egypt, two leading nations in the Arab world, declared, quote, that there would be no peace, no recognition, and no negotiation with Israel. And we've seen this for years, for decades, and we just went through some Old Testament scriptures on the promises to Abraham and understanding why there's this fight over the land, there are divisions, there's some who will never come to the truth. Now, the next war, now this is fascinating, you guys, and, and this is where America came into play again. By the way, 1948, President Harry Truman recognized the state of Israel to exist. Um, October 6th, 1973, by the way, when Israel had been attacked, they're always outnumbered, outmanned, more, quote, power, more ammunition and everything else. Um, 1973, a co coordinated surprise attack on Yom Kippur in 1973. What is that? Well, it's the holiest days uh, in the Jewish calendar. It's a time when the entire nation virtually comes to a standstill. Even non-observant Jews honor this holiday by fasting. They stay home from work, uh, or, or they'll go to the synagogue. They refrain from the use of fire, using electricity, and their communication systems on Yom, Yom Kippur. So in 1973, this, they could not have been more vulnerable throughout any, any time of the year other than this day, and they were attacked by these other nations that pre-planned attack. So there had been concern about possible attacks, but until just shortly before the attacks began, and here's a quote, Israeli intelligence was not able to determine conclusively that an attack was imminent. I don't know if you guys remember uh, 1941 in America, but that sounds like Pearl Harbor and the attack. That's exactly what happened. They were getting these signs, and the Japanese were kind of messing up the sending scrambled signals. They were getting signs, and they kind of knew something was going to happen. There was something being set up, but they didn't know for sure that an attack was imminent. And then look what happened. So the attacks by Egypt and Syria were backed by nine Arab states. This is 1973, as well as the Soviet Union. And considering surrender, Golda Meir, the Prime Minister of Israel, considering surrender. In fact, it got so bad, they, were take, they suffered so many losses, so many casualties in 1973 at, during the surprise attack that she had her aide get her suicide pills so that just in case they broke in and were able to get close to her, she would take the pills and that would be it. That's how dire this was. What did she do? She called the United States of America to help. 
This is what could be important in the coming days, weeks, and years, friends. She picked up the phone and called President Richard M. Nixon and asked for help. It is reported that when Nixon was young, his mother gave him a prophetic word saying, you are going to be in a place of power one day, and you will be able, you will have the power to be able to help the nation of Israel. She, she didn't say President of the United States, I don't think. I didn't read that anywhere. But she did prophesy and say, you will be in a place of power, and you will be able to help Israel. You answer that call when it comes, Richard. Wow. So it is reported in history that Nixon heard the prophetic word, the voice of his mother, as he listened to Golda Meir at 3 in the morning on that day in October of 1973. By the time she hung up the phone, the resources and weapons her country needed were on the way that swung the pendulum of that war to Israel's favor and brought an end to the Yom Kippur War in 1973. Wow. God can use whoever he will use. Nowhere in the Bible does it say uh, God only uses Christians to accomplish his plans. <laughs> so, and there's some rumors about Donald Trump and his pastors praying for him and his conversion. Well, we will know him by his fruit. We'll see what, what happens. We do not know. Um, but what I'm saying is, U.S. President Harry Truman supported Israel's right to become a nation in 1948. God used Richard Nixon to intervene for Israel in 1973. What will happen in 2017 and 2018 with the Donald Trump administration, with Israel, with these coal this coalition of nations hostile toward Israel building up, and the Iran building up their nukes. It's, just, it's a powder keg ready to go off. As Christians, what are we to do? Not fear. We know who's in control. We believe God will accomplish his purposes. Let us not be deceived, and let us understand the times. Um, wrap, getting ready to wrap it up here. Give me a few more minutes. Psalm 75. I'm not sure if I gave this one to you. Psalm 75, how much more time do we have, you guys? How much more time? Psalm 75, starting verse 2. And this, I don't think, oh, I did. Oh, good. I don't remember if I sent that to you. Awesome. Thank you for getting that scripture up there. So Psalm 75, when I select an appointed time, God says, when I select an appointed time, it is I who judge with equity. The earth and all who dwell in it melt. It is I who have firmly set its pillars. For This is verse um, 6 and 7. Now, go down to verse 6. For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. An all-powerful, wise God can do anything he wills. So how about if we pray, God, your will be done, not mine. So be encouraged as you heard some of this today. And we've got a little bit more to share, a little, little nugget of, of prophecy of what is going to happen down the road here. Be encouraged that the Bible is accurate history. There are eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection all over the pages of Scripture, scripture particularly in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And by the way, um, one of the people mentioned by name, and there were a lot, the women, even Mary and Mary of Magdalene and, and Joanna and Salome, um, and there were many, many more, but they're mentioned the disciples, um, Paul, of course, it mentions Cephas, the, the ones, uh, one guy on the road to Emmaus, Cle Cleopas, I think, on the road to Emmaus when Jesus appeared to them. But remember he mentioned James. Paul mentioned Jesus appeared to James. This wasn't the apostle James. 
One of the sons of thunder, right? James and John. No, this was James, Jesus' half-brother, who weeks before, during Passover, weeks before, they didn't believe in Jesus. Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. What happened? Well, after the resurrection, James became one of the early church fathers, a pillar in the early church. Church history, according to Jewish historian Josephus, said James was one that was martyred for his faith. Wow! You mean to me, years and months and weeks before Jesus died on that cross, they were skeptics and didn't believe, and all of a sudden, he was one of the pillars in the church and you know, started this amazing faith and, and was part of this movement and ended up dying for what he believed? What happened? The resurrection, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and Jesus appeared to James, his half-brother. So the accuracy of fulfilled prophecies confirms the reliability of Scripture. And this is what we hoped to reinforce this morning through this message. The Bible consists of specific predictions and prophecies which cannot be logically explained. What we just talked about, Israel, the land, the nation, the people, everything. You can't explain that. You can't even attempt to predict that in the greatest imaginations of Hollywood. You can't. But it happened. So, um, but it, it had to be God but the best is yet to come. Now turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14. <clears throat> I've got two different translations up here. I've got the NAS and the NIV. So Zechariah 14. Let me give you a little, um, before we get to Zechariah 14, a couple of verses before that. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. You know, Israel will be attacked again. And there's nations that are coming against her. And a lot of people, they're going to take some heavy casualties. Um, in verse 8, it says, In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish. This is Israel. Yet, one-third will be left in it. I think about the remnant of Jews who will be believing Jews, Messianic Jews, believing in Jesus Christ. I think, this is just my commentary now, aside from the truth of Scripture, I think there's a remnant in America, in the church in America, that really wants to change our country, our culture for Christ, and really, like I'm assuming a lot of you in this church, you don't want to be silent witnesses or closet Christians in these days, do you? Well, I think there's a remnant in America. Unfortunately, it is a minority of churches because there's so much seeker-sensitive, emergent garbage out there in, in American Christianity, but there's a remnant that really understands the times and prays, God, give us wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. Um, they're like there's a remnant, and there will be a strong remnant in Israel. There already is one there. Verse 9 says, this third, this third, the, the third that is not struck down, this third I will bring into the fire, and I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. And we can say that too. The Lord is our God. So verse four, I'm sorry, chapter 14 and verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Now, it, within that verse, or in these verses of Scripture, I believe, from my understanding, there is a time lapse. We don't know how much time is between what happened, what we just read, the rest of the people will not be cut off, and the next verse, which starts with, then 
So there is a time lapse there. We don't know how much time that is. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem, on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. This is, when, this is the Lord's return. This is what we're excited about. Zechariah 14.9 And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name, Jesus, I inserted that, his name, the only one. Remember what it said um, in, in the beginning of the book of Acts, um, the end of the book of Luke, who was meticulous, by the way, in his detail in writing uh, Luke. He even says that to start off the book of Luke. End of Luke, beginning of Acts, when they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus ascended from them in their presence. We, we have a clue there. Let's not forget this clue that the angels gave to those who were standing there going, as Jesus, more fascinating, I bet, than any Hollywood movie special effect, as Jesus was ascending in that bright light, the angels suddenly stood amongst these people and he said, they said, men of Israel, why are, what are you doing standing, staring up into the sky? And then they said, this is the first um, six to nine verses in Acts chapter one. This same Jesus who you just saw ascend into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Not only, this is fascinating, you guys. Am I the, the only one who's just really stirred up about this? <laughs> Not only how ascended into heaven, he'll come back on the clouds, but from where? The Mount of Olives. The gate, the eastern gate, is the gate that he came into on Palm Sunday when he came into the city the first time, allowing him to be worshipped. Jesus allowing himself to be worshipped for the first time when they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They were praising him. And the leaders were jealous. And they said, don't you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, hey, if they don't praise me, the rocks are going to cry out. This is my time. I came here for such a time as this to ransom myself, to give myself as a sacrifice for many. And so he did this. He came in in that eastern gate from the Mount of Olives, through that eastern gate. And that's one of the eight gates in Jerusalem. The whole city, the city walls have been rebuilt, right? The eastern gate, I think it's also called the Golden Gate, is the only one that's cemented up right now. Muslim conquerors, Centuries ago, cemented this wall because they know our holy book. They know it says when the Messiah comes back. Let's see. Where's... Oh, yeah, there he's coming from the east. His feet will touch on the Mount of Olives. He's going to come that way. He's going to enter the city. Well, that's got to be the eastern gate. Let's put cement over. Let's, let's, let's wall it up. They think they're going to stop God. But they didn't stop there. They put a cemetery, a graveyard in front of the gate. Why? Because their belief is that a holy man will not defile himself and go through dead bodies, dead bones. The king of kings, we don't have to worry about being defiled when he comes back in the flesh, right? So he's, his feet will touch on the Mount of Olives, which it says here in Zechariah 14, and also it just alluded to in, in Acts chapter 1. And he's going to return to the Mount of Olives and he's going to come back to the city through that eastern gate. Because there's many scriptures in Ezekiel and other places that says the gate facing the east, from the east. So his name will be the only one. In that day there will be peace on earth. After the day of destruction, after the judgment of the nations, Jesus will reign forever and we will always be with the Lord. Where does it say that? Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, I believe 13 through 18. It talks about the return of the Lord. Thus we will always be with the Lord. And then it says, comfort one another with these words. 
So in these tumultuous times we're living in, in these uncertain times in America, we Christians, believers with the Spirit of Christ, with the Spirit of God in us, have not been given a spirit of fear, have we? But what? A spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Sound mind is not fear. We've been given a powerful spirit. So now wrapping up with Acts 17, I promise I'm going to wrap it up with this. I promise. Aren't you glad I didn't go to 4 o'clock like I alluded to earlier? Um, Acts 17, where we started today in Acts 17, we're going to end with just a couple verses. 17, verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And, and this is where... You and I come in. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Of course, he's talking about nations there. He appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, the lands of nations. Now, what do nations consist of? People. We are people in the nation of the United States of America. You and I are here for such a time as this. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You might, and I might not have been able to handle uh, my grandparents' or great-grandparents' time going through a depression, um, two world wars, um, just very, very hard times. We might not have been able to handle that. And they, in turn, might not have been able to handle what we're going through today with all the technology and everything. We're plugged in, aren't we? We're connected to everything. But let's make sure we're connected to people in the heart of God. And let's remember, in sight, in the biblical worldview, the importance of Israel and our nation, what's going to happen. In the, and it's going to be very interesting to see. So we are here. Let's be about the Lord's business. As he said, do not be deceived. Watch and pray. There's going to be you know, hard times. But Jesus said, take heart. I've overcome the world. And Romans fifteen thirteen says, may the God of hope fill you with peace as you trust in him. We may not have peace in this world, on this earth. There may not be peace in the Middle East, but we can have the peace of Christ in our hearts. So may he fill you with peace. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth. And in Jesus' name, Lord, make it come alive to us so that we may see the times that we're living in and understand, Lord, your will is going to be done. Father, thank you for prophecy, how it encourages our hearts. So many of them, Lord, fulfilled. We're excited by that. It just reinforces our faith. I lift up each person here today, ask that you touch their hearts right now. Give them exactly what they need, Lord, whether that be encouragement or peace, um, financial provision, healing. You are our God, provider, shepherd, our rock, our refuge, our king, our redeemer, Jehovah Rapha. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for your peace that passes all understanding. And that peace can guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We receive that right now. We recognize your faithfulness and your sovereignty, and we know that you are in control. We trust you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a lot.